This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Thank you, Pastor Bob, for that introduction. And uh, what a joy to be with you all. I want to get straight into the Word of God as um, we want to get ministering and Unfortunately, we can't lay hands on you, but we do have a way that we're going to get the anointing to you, and that will be through uh, walking past you, and just like believing the shadow of Peter fell on people, I'm believing that when my shadow passes you, that there'll be sufficient anointing in that point of contact, that you will be touched, healed, filled, restored, revived, renewed, reset whatever is needed for you, and over and above that, we'll have a backup system, almost like a spare wheel, we'll give you anointed cloth. Where are my anointed cloths? Okay, I want them now, if you don't mind, if you could just bring them, I want to pray and have them with me while I'm preaching, believing for the impartation. I was in Puerto Rico, the anointing is very strong in this place tonight, And the anointing is strong every time we gather because He is here. And we walk by faith, not by sight. We don't walk by feelings, but He is in this place. When I was worshiping, I was imagining the river flowing into this place. And I I thought just coming up on the stage, I'm going to walk, and I'm going to come up ankle deep, knee deep, and I'm going to just start plunging in. I'm going to swim even while I'm preaching. And I want to invite you to receive, even while I'm preaching, don't wait for the shadow or the cloth. I want you to receive, even while I'm preaching. Hallelujah. Uh, Come on, I, I need you to start exercising faith. Because while Peter yet spake, the Spirit fell. And I'm believing for the Spirit of four, even while I'm speaking. How many of you can receive and access that anointing. There's no, there's no limit. There's no capacity. The anointing is so strong. If you have faith, anything is possible in this place tonight. Legs that can't walk, eyes that can't see, eyes that need adjustment, ears that need adjustment. There is no uh, need that is too small or too great in the economy of heaven, because the river is very wide, and the river is very deep, and there is more than enough for your every need, and not only your need, your desires, and your capacity that you spoke about to be expanded for not only your needs to be met, but your destiny to be awakened. And if your ministry and your life has come to a bit of a standstill, Tonight will not only be a reset, but a relaunch to step into your ministry and into your destiny, into your anointing, so that you can be a carrier of God's grace and power. How many of you believe that's possible? I believe it's possible for you tonight. I want you to activate your faith right now and imagine this river that's right here and I'm standing in it and it's just getting deeper and deeper and I'm going to get drunker and drunker in the spirit until I can't speak anymore and then at that point I'm just going to lunge out with these anointed cloths and I'm going to start praying for everything that moves and if it doesn't move I'm going to pray even harder until it does begin to move again. I'm believing God for your life to be touched, to be changed, to be filled. Can you step into the river? I know you're sitting down, but step into it right now, uh, ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, plunge, start just doing backstroke, come on, just just get in there and just enjoy it, ah, splash your friend next to your, your husband, your wife, your, just splash them with some holy water, you, don't you ever do that when you get in the pool, don't you just wet the people that are on the banks, I, I do that. If you visit my house and you've been there, don't ever walk with me past my pool because I may just push you in. Even if you've got your watch or your phone in their pocket, I'm just going to go for it. I love to see people get wet. (laughs) Tonight, I want you to get wet. I want you to get intoxicated in the Spirit. Hallelujah. I want you to get saturated. We need a reset. You're speaking about the, the fresh oil or the new wine. 
The fr- that's all language of reset, isn't it? Fresh oil, a reset in your anointing. The new wine, a reset in the outpouring of the Spirit, the breaking of tradition, religion. Jesus didn't come to just uh, patch up the garment. He came to give a new garment. He didn't just come with the old wine of religion, tradition. He came to do a reset, a total reset, to bring them to the original plan that Father had for their lives, to bring them into this relationship with heaven, that they would know God and walk with God and not just have a formalistic, traditional approach. We need a reset culturally in the church. We need to get back to the mandate of heaven, which was to reach the lost, to disciple the found, or to equip the saints, and to empower them, and to launch them into their ministries, and then to help build and grow and expand the church. That is God's intention for us. It has not changed. I was was just meditating on that. He told me, I haven't changed my mind or my purpose for the church. Those words that I gave to them, I give to you, and it will continue until I return, until this gospel be preached to the ends of the earth, and only then will that commission cease to exist. So we are under the orders of God. I was reading in worship in Matthew chapter 4, from that time in verse 17, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus walked by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. I want to say this, that Jesus has walked past your life and he has called you. You have been called not only out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have been called into freedom. You've been called into provision. You've been called into protection. But you've also been called into the ministry of God. And He who made them is making you. Hallelujah. He is shaping, molding, and making your life. And tonight, again, He wants to do a work in you and for you so that it can flow through you. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated by his disciples, uh, he opened his mouth and taught them. I want you to see that there are two groups that have been addressed tonight. There were the multitudes who wanted something from Jesus. And then there were the people that he was making and shaping and molding to use to be the continuum of his anointed ministry. I've come to the conclusion that today there are many people that want Jesus for their healing, for their miracle, for their breakthrough, and he is good, and he is great, and he is powerful, and he wants to do that for them. He touched them then, and He wants to touch them today. But then there are those that He has called and that He is making and shaping. Tonight, I want to speak specifically to those that He has called, that He's shaping and making. We will always have the crowds that we can reach. There will always be hungry, sick, diseased, demon-possessed lives in this world. But for them to be touched to be healed, to be delivered, we have to have a people that God has raised, called, and equipped, and empowered to be the continuum of what He has begun. 
I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied being in the multitude of the desperate. I want to be next to Him in the expansion of what He is doing, the extension of what He is doing. And so I believe that like those days, tonight you have been called and separated from the multitude to come to this place, whether you're in this building physically or in this building through technology, you have been separated from the multitude. Thank God that if you are diseased, sick, demon-possessed, and you are in the multitudes of the desperate, and you hear the sound of my voice tonight that God is willing to stretch forth His hand to heal you, to touch you, and to raise you wherever you are. He is great, He is good, He is powerful, and there is nothing that is too difficult for Him, and He is not irritated by your need. He loves you, He cares for you, He wants to touch you. But specifically tonight, I want to address those who have felt the call of God upon your lives, that you are not satisfied to just be a part of the crowd. You want to be in the inner circle of Jesus. You want to be a friend of Jesus. You want to be a part of His team. Is there anyone out here tonight watching or in this room that wants to be a part of the Jesus team? To be part of the Jesus team, you have to be a disciple. You have to be called, made, and shaped, taught, and trained. But not only are we going to see you called, shaped, molded to be a disciple, we don't want to keep you as a disciple for your entire life. We have to raise you to be a disciple maker. Discipleship is phase one. It's where you are taught, shaped, and trained. Unfortunately, many Christians never go beyond that point. They never graduate into becoming a carrier of what they have received, a, a vessel, a vehicle that can carry and release what they have received. And so they get, they get, they get until they get to the place of spiritual boredom. And spiritual obesity, where there is no exercise of their faith, no release of their spirit, and they become bored and dysfunctional believers. I found this, and I, I touched on it this morning, that we have many today who are standing gazing towards heaven, waiting for the return of Jesus. Men, why do you stand gazing into heaven, this same Jesus? They are gazing at Jesus. They are looking at Jesus. They believe in Him. They are looking for His return. But they have become a generation of spectators. Spectators become critics. When you're not on the playing field, you become a critic of the players. And we have many critics in the church today that are not on the playing field, they're not there getting beaten up, trying to run through the opponents. They are sitting in the stadium or sitting in front of their big screen, and they're watching and they're criticizing. Why did he do that? Why didn't he throw the ball? Why didn't he tackle that man? It's, diffi it's difficult when you're on the field. It's different when you're sitting in the stadium. They've never thrown the ball when there's a 250-pound player running headfirst towards you. We have many spectators, and the danger of spectator Christians is they become the critics of those that are trying to do something. We don't need more spectators. I believe this reset is coming to the church to take spectators and to make them participators to make them a part of the Jesus team. We have to get back to the blueprint, the model. Jesus began His ministry making disciples. At the end of His ministry, He commissioned them to make disciples. That's what we are called to do. <laughs> Anything outside of that is just the exercise of spiritual entertainment. We don't need entertainment. We need to get to the mission. Now, sometimes I feel like 
the name of an album by Elton John, A Madman Across the Water. I feel like a madman, but I'm not. If I, uh, Paul was also called mad. He, sometimes we sound mad or radical. Jesus was radical. His message was radical. He didn't try to grow the crowd. The crowd just grew. What he wanted to do was grow men and women that would be carriers of the glory of God, that would be filled with the power of God. In fact, Jesus often tried to get rid of the crowd by making outrageous statements. And then he would look at the people and say, are you also going to go? Because he wasn't trying to grow an audience. He wasn't trying to grow his ego. He was trying to build men and women that would be the carriers of the glory of God. Those who would be the recipients of the promise of the Spirit that would walk like he walked and would talk like he talked and would do what he did. Jesus began both to teach and to do. We are the continuum in the book of Acts, the unfinished writings of the working of God through men and women that are healed. It. We are the continuum of the book of Acts today. And we have to get back to that blueprint. That is the plan of God. There, there is nothing outside of that that He gave us to do. The problem today is we want to Make it pretty and nice. We need to strip it off. This reset is a radical time when we've got to analyze everything. What a great year to analyze our motives, our attitudes, our programs, all the events that we're engaged in, and to strip them down to the bare necessity, necessities so that we can focus on what is the essentials. We don't need bored Christians. We need to raise up warrior spirited people, mighty men and women of God that will be carriers of the glory of God. Notice this in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 to 4. You therefore, my son, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and that's a whole nother level of relationship. You've got discipleship, and then you've got sonship. We've hardly touched that realm and level of relationship in the modern-day church. You sometimes see it in the African-American churches. They have had a glimpse of sonship. And many of the apostles and pastors, they will have sons that they are mentoring and raising, uh, but it's, it's not common, and you'll see it in Africa, you'll see it a little bit in India, but in the United States of America, this principle is not well taught. You, therefore, my son, we raise up staff, professionals, but we don't raise enough sons and daughters in the church. Because we're scared of relationships, because we've been let down. People fail us, so we build walls around our lives, and we don't embrace the leaders, and they don't embrace us. We don't come into that kind of deep level of accountability and submission. We don't even like those words in the modern-day church, accountability, someone controlling me. And yet, if you want to get to a higher level, if we really want to reset, we have to analyze these things under the microscope of God's Word and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm not satisfied with superficial. I don't want to be radical for the sake of radical, but I want to sound like Jesus. I want a message that doesn't tickle ears and stroke egos and make people feel secure when they ought to be insecure when they ought to be challenged to the very core of their being. We need something greater than just a feel-good church. We need to get back to the Bible, back to God, back to the mission that we were entrusted with by Jesus Himself, Red Letter Edition. You therefore, my son, 
that would take church membership to a whole nother level. Be strong in the grace. This is all by grace. It's not legalism. It's not law. It's all grace. Grace, the favor of God that makes us vulnerable and open and teachable. The same grace that saves you can take you into deeper relationships with God and with one another. And that's what this reset must do. It must take us into a deeper sense of community. Because I've got to tell you, the church, the early church, everyone wants the power of God that was found in the early church. How many of you want the power of God that was in there? I want the power of God that was in the early church. I want Book of Acts in 2020 and beyond. But I tell you, you don't get that kind of power with superficial living. They had community. They prayed together. They cared for one another. They fellowshiped together. They worked together. And as a result, there was an environment of faith and anointing that was conducive where the Lord could add daily to the church those who were being saved. And I feel like this time of reset can bring us back to the original plan where we can have that live level of relationship that we're reading about right here. Not just a membership, a name in the system, and you attend superficially when it's convenient for you, but that you would dare to live inconveniently for God. That you would allow Him to take you out your way, to be inconvenienced through your giving, through your praying, through your fastings. Why do you guys talk about food so much in this church? Ice cream and, and, and fried chicken and then you mentioning food. Uh, and you spoke about fish and, and I was just sitting there drooling. I was thinking, I'm hungry. I wasn't hungry before I started hearing all this talk about food. <laughs> it's like when you fast. And then all you go to Facebook and everyone's just posting pictures of pies and Meals, don't you hate it? I just delete them as friends, just there and then. Where's your sensitivity, dude? I'm fasting. Never post pictures of food if you know that I'm fasting. But you'll never know when I'm fasting because I'm not going to be like the religious and tell you when I'm fasting. So you've got to walk by the Spirit. Delete. Where was I before I was distracted by food? <laughs> Radical message, raising up a warrior spirit, the grace of God that saves us is the grace of God that brings us into this authentic New Testament relationship of being disciples, Christians, this reset. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. That grace, by the way, Paul wrote is immeasurable. God is rich in mercy and grace, super abundant in it. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul raised son, Timothy, to be a carrier of his message and of his anointing, of his ministry, as God had called Timothy Paul didn't call Timothy. God called Timothy. God anointed Timothy. God was engaged through the ministry of Paul to awaken the destiny of Timothy. But then Paul was very clear to Timothy, this isn't just for you. You need to find faithful men that you can reproduce this same ministry. We need to change church from an audience And even from just being disciples to becoming disciple makers, we need to get able men and women who are able to teach what you have been taught, not necessarily from the platform or from the pulpit, but from your home or from, uh, you can't even say from Starbucks anymore because you can barely get in there. There's no tables anymore where you can sit. So I can't even use that as as an example. But you've got to find a place where you can meet. (laughs) And now we can even do it virtually because it's become a way of 
our life, our virtual reality. You can disciple virtually, but you need to ask yourself, who am I reaching and who am I discipling? Because this is God's plan for your life, not just to disciple you, but to make you a disciple maker, a reproducer of what you have received to raise others. Otherwise, you'll fall into the trap of spiritual boredom. And bored people become a critic of the church and a critic of leaders and a critic of other denominations, and they so into navel-gazing that they lose sight of the vision of God, the mission of God. We need a reset to bring us back to this. You, therefore, Paul writing to Timothy, must endure hardship as a good soldier. In other words, this isn't always going to be easy. There are going to be trials. There are going to be challenges. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be things that are going to come your way. And you have to gird up the loins of your mind for action. You've got to be ready to face these things, not just as a mere man, but as a good soldier. Now, there are soldiers and good soldiers. We don't want to raise up soldiers. We want to raise up good soldiers. I want to raise up warriors. People with a mentality of a giant killer. We need people that will take on the idols of Baal and Ashtoreth and bring the fire of God down to bring a revival into your world, into your atmosphere. Just like Elijah did in that place of, of trial, of dryness of famine. We were singing about that God can make a highway through the seas. God can uh, make a highway in the wilderness. God can move mountains. There's nothing impossible for God, but He uses people to do that. And those people are carriers of what I call the warrior spirit. They are engaged in the good fight of faith. They are not spectators of the battle. They're in the battle. I've come to the conclusion, and this sounds derogatory, and you have to be so careful now because everything is videoed and communicated and criticized, but there's two kinds of people in the church. You've got peasants and you've got warriors. Peasants are subsistent farmers who eke out an existence in their parcel of land. And they satisfied in their parcel of land trying to survive. And then you've got warriors that go and possess the land. We've got people that have become subsistent farmers that all you're cared about is you, your family, and your well-being. That is the sum total of your prayer focus, your life. It's all about you. And you just eke out an existence. You're not really satisfied, but you're not dissatisfied because you have your daily bread. But you're not willing to step out and move mountains and take on giants or take on something bigger than yourself. And yet Paul is awakening the warrior spirit in Timothy and those that Timothy will reach. He says you need to endure hardship as a good soldier. You need to be a warrior. And God has given us the armor of heaven. And he's told us we engaged in a spiritual warfare. But peasants, they will sometimes fight to try and preserve their land. But they won't take on the army. Uh, and that's what I love about David. He didn't just go for the giant. He went for the army of the Philistines. He wasn't just satisfied to kill the giant. He wanted the whole army. It was a ridiculous scenario, but I love his attitude. He didn't run towards the, the giant. That was phase one of the battle. Phase two was when I get the giant, I'm then going to take his sword and I'm just going to go and rip the heads off the entire army. He had no doubt of the ability that God had given him to take on the whole army single-handedly. I just love that attitude. And somehow we've got to get people from being peasants and subsistent farmers into the warrior spirit of the New Testament church. 
this radical generation that will take on principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and enforce the power of God into areas of severe opposition to drive them out and to become possessors of the land. We need that Joshua spirit that will cross over and go lay hold of the inheritance of the saints. And that's what was happening here was that um, Paul was addressing these reproducers that they should become good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Good soldiers. Not just soldiers, but good soldiers. Soldiers will stand in rank and file, but good soldiers will follow every command. They'll run into the thick of the fight. They won't look for a way out. They'll always be looking for a way in. And they will understand their mission and their objectives, and they will go for it. And then he goes on to say, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. In other words, don't get so sucked into the temporal that you lose sight of the eternal. Don't let the tentacles of the present age so wrap around you that you get caught up in just survival mode and that's your whole life. You've got to have something bigger than yourself. You've got to be a possessor of a vision. You've got to be possessors of a mission. And that's what the warrior spirit is all about, that they're not wrapped up in this world, tied up and enchained in the affairs of everyday life, because our goal is that we may please Him who enlisted us as a soldier. You have been enlisted in the army of God. When you were saved, you were enlisted by God to be a part of His conquering force in the earth today. This militancy is not against people. You know that I'm talking about not uh, a, a kind of a radical uh, generation fighting people. I'm talking about a radical generation fighting spiritual forces of darkness, taking on uh, darkness, taking on demon-possessed lives, taking on sickness, taking on diseases, and preaching the gospel, bringing liberation to lives that are locked in the chains of hell and darkness. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes I'm, I'm very militant, and I've got to just qualify it. So the Great Commission is our mission, and that is to make disciples. And to make disciples, we've got to be a disciple, and then we become a disciple-maker and then um, that's how we will be seen. We are disciples, but we'll be called Christians. Disciples being our personal life, and Christians being our visible life, our anointed life, uh, the, the part that the world will feel the influence of our lives. With that in mind, go with me to Acts chapter 1. I touched on it this morning. But I want to conclude. I have a few more minutes, about another five minutes, and I'm going to wrap it up. And in Acts chapter 1, um, we addressed, why do you stand gazing into heaven? Uh, then they entered into the upper room. They all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. That's in verse 14. And the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So they were in the upper room 120 of them. And then if you go to Acts chapter 2, oh, by the way, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is critical. You shall receive power. I, I truly believe that this verse is the pivotal verse of the entire book of Acts. Everything revolves around this single verse. You shall receive power. This verse is neglected in the modern-day church. Uh, when I say it's neglected, we want to see people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we pretty much stop there. We get you to speak in other tongues, and then you left there, and we, we interpret subtly that speaking in other tongues is Spirit-filled. But like you said, we leak out. There are cracks in our lives, and, and the Spirit-filled life 
is not just a once-only empowerment and then every now and again we shundai, shundai, and we pray a little bit for, and then we even while we're praying, we doubt that we, we're speaking by the Spirit and you're thinking, I wonder if I'm making this up. It sounds like I'm repeating myself over and over and over again. And they never gain an articulation and a boldness to enter into diverse tongues. They just live very superficially in the Spirit realm. We need to take people beyond the veil of the flesh into the realms of the spirit into the mystical realms where these dimensions of power are accessed in glory. Hallelujah. That takes a revelation. Uh, But we can't keep the church superficial, locked up into an occasional uh, uh, little uh, vocal gift, uh, tongues and interpretation and an occasional prophecy. That's, That's superficial. We're talking about the empowerment of your life as a carrier of the glory of God. The, in, in, in fact, you could link to this, the verse where Jesus said, the glory that the Father has given to me, I give to you. And the works that I do, you shall do also. I'm not just talking about a superficial speaking in other tongues. I'm talking about being God-possessed, being God-filled, being God-empowered. In your world, in that world, you are God's light. You are God's love. You are God's word. You are the epistle read by men. You are the carrier of His glory into that realm. If you are not in that world, that world is lost. That world is under the control of the beasts of Ephesus. They will control it until someone will dare to go in there and wage a war and liberate lives from that grip of hell and darkness. But you shall receive power. They then went and they began to pray. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We need to have a reset in the church of getting back to prayer, the importance of prayer, corporate prayer. This is an area that has been neglected for generations and has to be revived. A praying church is a united church. A united church is a powerful church because our prayers create an environment for the Spirit of God to move. I want you to catch this. This is important. Even though Jesus had given them promise that they would receive the outpouring of the Spirit, it wasn't automatic. They had to cooperate with God. There was God who was going to work, but there was a work that they were going to do as well. They were going to position themselves. They were going to pray. They were going to seek God. And we need a, the church to be reset to the importance of corporate prayer. They were with one accord in one place. They were praying together in that place. I'll say this, during this year, most of the churches that I know of have had a resurgence of the importance of prayer. And through Zoom prayer meetings, numbers have increased. But I'm looking for the day when the entire church will pray. I'm looking for a time when we'll get desperate enough that we'll become dissatisfied with the, what's happening in our society, in our world, and the lack of power in our lives, and we begin to see, and sincerely, in faith, seek God, in humility, seek God for a great outpouring. We need the church to arise in prayer. It's not automatic. There is our cooperation in creating the atmosphere for God to move. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. At least those days they didn't have eye watches. While we were worshiping, my eye watch popped on and said the, the decibel levels loud. You, you, if you stay in this, it will affect your hearing temporarily. I said, I bind you in Jesus' name. I wondered if, if we had eye watchers when they shouted at the walls of Jericho. Tone it down. You're going to damage your ears. No, you're about to damage the walls of a city. We don't need to tone it down. We need to lift up the volume. We need to raise the volume of our faith. Everything is wanting to mute us. 
It wants to mute our worship. It wants to mute our prayers. It wants to mute our, our gospel. We need to raise our voices. We need to raise our voices and prophesy. Then I lifted my voice and I prophesied to the valley of bones. We need people that will prophesy over this nation. We need people that will speak the word of God to revive the church in this nation. Everyone wants to mute us. Politicians want to mute us. Secular media wants to mute us. The Spirit of God wants to amplify us. Let's get into agreement with God. Heaven is loud. There came a sound from heaven. We need to live in the sound of heaven. We want the sound of heaven to fill our hearts and fill our lives and fill this house. As of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We need to be God-filled. This reset is to bring us again to the origins of the church, Pentecost power. This isn't a denominational thing. This is the normal Christian life. Jesus commanded them to stay in Jerusalem. He didn't suggest, he didn't say, hey guys, if you can fit it into your schedules, would you please see if you could stay in Jerusalem? I have something special for you. If you could just hang around a little while, you're going to be blown out of your minds. He didn't entice them with any promises. He said, I command you to stay in Jerusalem. I looked at the word command which you would say command, in the Greek, the word command means command. <laughs> and you all know what a command is, don't you? There's a difference between a suggestion and a commandment. Why did Jesus command them to stay? Because this would be the normal Christian life, the spiritual life, the Acts 1-8 life is the normal Christian life. It is not for the missionary. It is not for the pastors. It's for every believer. My alarm is about to go off, and I'm going to save you the pain of hearing it speak to me. Stand with me and let us pray. We need to get a reset to take us back to biblical normality. Speaking in other tongues is important. I will never dilute the importance of speaking in other tongues. They all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We need to speak in other tongues. But I'm talking about going beyond speaking in other tongues. I'm talking about being a carrier of the power of God into your world. We need that kind of a reset. We need the reset that will remobilize the church with the passion of the harvest. This church is called Church of the Harvest. You are the harvest and you are now the carriers of the commission to reach the harvest of this community, this society, and beyond. Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This is your Jerusalem, but then you've got your Judea, your Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I want to pray for you. Those who are going to stand, I'm going to come past you and pray. I'm going to have... Someone hand out these cloths that I've carried on me, on my side, believing for the impartation of the Spirit as I've preached the Word in faith, for something to be imparted into these for you to receive. But I want to bring a challenge to you before I pray for you, and I want you to stand for this, because I really want to be serious and bring a separation. I want to draw a, a line in the sand and separate the, the crowd from the disciples, the masses from the disciples. Do you want to just live as a part of the multitude who want to be touched, healed, fed by Jesus? Or do you want to be part of the Jesus team? Who wants to be part of the Jesus team? Yeah. And I want to pray for you tonight as the Jesus team. Because he wants to take us deeper. America has become, the Church of America has really been 
become soft-bellied. We've lost our spiritual posture, our strength, our resolve. The world has been beaten up on us, and we've so watered down and diluted our spirituality. It's like we're embarrassed to be spiritual in case we offend somebody. We don't want spiritual gifts in case we offend someone. We don't want to preach in case we offend someone. Our lives, unfortunately, will be offensive to those that are resistant. But there are people that are desperate for what we've got. And you are going to connect with them, and you're going to be blown away at the level of desperation in our world. They are just waiting for a solution, and we have the solution, and His name is J-E-S-U-S. King of kings, Lord of lords, the almighty God. You don't just know about him, you know him. And he lives in you, and you live in him. You are one with God. Hallelujah. As disciples, I want to challenge you to become a disciple maker. Who wants to really, really focus to become that continuum of what Paul said to Timothy, find faithful men. Would you be a faithful man or woman today and say, I want to be a co-laborer together with the pastors of this church, the leaders of uh, the work of God. I want to be a part of the team and become a disciple maker. I want to live for the harvest. I want to reach someone. I want to disciple someone. Anyone out there say, that's me. I want to pray for you. Lord God, would you please... In the true spirit of Pentecost, fall upon these lives. And that sound that came from heaven, may it fill their lives tonight. And that breath that filled that house and filled those within that house, would it please tonight, Spirit of the living God, would you please blow into our hearts and lives, fill this place and fill our hearts. And oh, fire of heaven that sat on each one of them, would you please come and sit on each one of us tonight in the true passion of Pentecost, in the fires of revival, in the fires of power. Would you please ignite us with that holy flame you filled them all. God, please tonight, fill us all. Let none leave this place, oh God, dragging their feet, hunched over, soft-bellied, but raise them to be giant destroyers, mountain movers, carriers with a holy passion as a warrior of the sword of God, the shield of faith the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. With you, our great leader of the, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of heavens ahead of us, and your glory all around us, there is no enemy greater, for if you be for us, who can be against us? What can man do? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You said that we shall tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the devil and nothing by any means shall harm us. And tonight we rise up in the spirit of faith authentic New Testament faith, and we tread on COVID, we tread on disease, we tread on bondage, we tread on demons, we tread on destruction, and we liberate lives tonight in the power of heaven, in the true spirit of Pentecost. Nothing by any means shall harm you. Let me prophesied over you again, nothing by any means shall harm you. The greater one is in you. The greater one is for you. You are not alone. You are not just standing as a mere man or as a mere woman, but you are standing as a carrier of the glory of God. Hallelujah.
touch these lives, O oh God, and fill them, I pray. Do a deep reset in their lives. If any have been spectators, change them. Even right now, those who are watching at home, change them from spectators to participants. And in this place, if you've been on the sidelines just watching and at times criticizing, step from the bleachers onto the field. Please join us on the field tonight. Step out from being a part of the crowd of spectators and join us in the work. Join us in the cause. Become part of the team, the winning team. I invite you to that through the Spirit of God tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Pastor um, gave some instructions this morning. I'm going to come past and pray for you all, having believed God for the impartation into these cloths. And we'll have some ushers working with me, coming behind, giving each one that receives prayer one of these. And then I'm also going to walk past you and just release the power of God. Stretch out your hands towards these baskets and just prophesy. Prophesy to these bones. Every life touched, filled, healed, delivered, set free in Jesus' name. Prophesy it. Say it. Say it. Speak it out. Freedom, that's it. Healing. Provision. Protection in Jesus' name. Every life touched. We're a team. We're a family. We're all partakers of this glory. And we speak it over these lives that are going to receive this. And some of you will take it for your loved ones. It's not just for you. You're going to grab one and say, hey, give me one for me and one for my family. And you're going to give it to them. And so we send the word to them. We send the word of salvation to them. We prophesy their salvation. We prophesy their backsidden ways to, to be abruptly halted by the Spirit of God. And they're returning from the north, the south, the east, and the west. They're coming back to Father's house like a prodigal. They're coming to their senses. They're arising and they're coming back to Father's house in Jesus' name. We prophesy healing over your families and over your loved ones who will receive these cloths in Jesus' name. And even at home, stretch out your faith now and receive this cloth into your home for your life and for those that need it in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.